This is what you say in English. Every week, you will listen to Frank's professional advice on speaking for exam preparation or for your personal development. You will get valuable advice on how to use grammar, vocabulary, discourse, and pronunciation. This is Season 2, Episode 34. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of What You Say in English, the podcast in which I listen to you and give you my professional feedback. Today, I have quite a few answers for some of the questions that people ask me either in my classes or whenever they contact me through our email. You remember the email is podcast at languageteaching.es. And the three points that we're going to be talking about today will be related to how you manage discourse and how you do the interactive communication. This is a point that a lot of people don't think about. They prepare a lot about the grammar or the vocabulary, and it's understandable. I think it's great that you know how to use your grammar, how to use your vocabulary, but the interactive communication is an essential part of Cambridge exams, and it's essential that you nail this down. We're going to be talking about how you interrupt politely, how you, for example, add more information, and how can you ask for clarification, not only with the examiner, but um, of course you can always ask for clarification, like, can you repeat the question, please? But including clarification questions when you are talking to the other candidate. In this case, for example, we are going to focus on parts three and four. Remember that part three is the collaborative task in B2 and C1, and you have to talk about a topic, you have a question, and you have several topics around it. And then part four is the further discussion. In the case of proficiency, it's a little bit on the way around. It's part two, the collaborative task, and it's divided into two parts with the same pictures. You first talk together about two pictures, and then you include the rest of the pictures in another discussion. And then finally, in at the end of part three, after you talk individually about the card that you're given, there's a three-way discussion with the examiner. And you can also include um, some of these techniques. I don't have examples from real exams. I have examples from real life in which you can hear how people say these things. And I decided to use real-life examples because these are things that people actually say, and it's something that you can include in the exam safely because sometimes I'm, and, and this is something that I notice in exams, like candidates try to shoehorn, they try to force language that it's sometimes not very natural. And of course, you know, it's better, it's better to use something that everybody uses. Okay. And another thing is that you have to excuse my voice today because we are entering in the season of the year that affects me the most, which is the end, well, the middle of the spring, the end of the spring, I get a very intense allergy and I'm under, right now I'm under heavy meds, you know, like antihistamines and in my inhaler because I get some allergic reaction and it's a little bit like asthma. It's not asthma, but, and don't worry about me. I'm just trying to sail through this time of the year as much as I can. Okay. 
So another thing that I want to talk about today is pronunciation, and it has to do with intonation, especially with cleft sentences. Okay. I also have some examples from real life that it's, you know, the examples in which you can hear clearly how people use intonation effectively to use cleft sentences. I will explain what cleft sentences are when we get to that point. Okay. So sit back and relax and let's get started. The first point that I'm going to talk about today is how to interrupt politely. And I think it's very important because, and this is a question that I usually get, which is what can I do if another candidate is talking nonstop and I want to say something, remember that you have to speak as much as you can. So the examiner can award you marks for your speaking skills. But what can you do when you're faced with another candidate that wants to monopolize the conversation and won't stop talking? And it's understandable. It's how can I do that? Of course, you have to interrupt and you have to do so politely. And if you do it effectively, the examiner will definitely give you marks for this. And don't worry too much about it because even examiners find it hard to stop candidates when the time is up. Remember that there are parts in which you are timed. You, for example, the individual parts, when you talk about a picture, the examiner will tell you, you have about a minute to do this. Okay. So in when the minute is over, we have to stop candidates. So the same happens. My technique on how to intervene or how to interrupt politely is I wait. I, I try to pay attention to what the other person is saying. And when I feel the sentence is finishing, I step in and I interrupt what, what the other person is saying. So I have a few expressions here that I, I have three actually that will definitely get you there. Okay. So just in case you need to interrupt politely. Okay. But it, it doesn't need to happen frequently, but sometimes candidates get carried away. It's understandable. Okay. So take a listen. The first situation is two people, a man and a woman, and they're giving their opinions about a heated discussion about how, you know, religion in, in society is, you know, so they give very contrastive opinions. Okay. So listen. Those are things we don't want in the United States. And one other thing. There's that, people with predatory behavior in every. Excuse me, but you right get mad at me, but if I could say this, it's not baked into their religion. But if I could say this. So here was the expression. He said that we're talking about religion and society in the United States. Of course, that's a very controversial topic. But what I was interested in is that the man said, excuse me, but if I could say this. So this is a very nice expression that you can use whenever you disagree or you just, you just want to interrupt politely another person. And in this case, you say, excuse me, but if I could say this in this other example, it's a meeting. I think it's a meeting and you know that in a meeting you have a lot of people giving their opinions and saying some, a few things. And whenever someone says something and you feel like you need to interrupt, because if you let it go, it will be difficult to go back to the same point again, which is of course quite effective. 
you can use this expression. Let's see if you can get what the expression was. Take a listen. What's your reaction to that, Bruce? May or June? Well, from my point of view, that sounds about right. Excuse me, may I come in here? I wonder if I could say something. Go ahead, George. What would you like to add? Excuse me, may I come in here? I wonder if I could say something. It's kind of a long expression, but I think it's very nice. I'll repeat it for you. He said, excuse me, may I come in here? I wonder if I could say something. So that's a fantastic way of interrupting. And of course, it's very, very polite. In this last example of how to interrupt politely, the two people are talking about admissions at a university. And the woman is explaining a process. And when you're explaining something, there are a few things that you might want to clarify. And of course, it's it's a little bit of clarification. We're going to be talking about clarification today. But it's also a way to interrupt a person. And you don't want to move on. You don't want to go on. That was you know, That's basically the expression. You want to clarify something, but you're interrupting the other speaker. Okay, so take a listen. Once getting accepted and being part of this process, you agree to a year-long involvement. Well, before you go on, once you get accepted, so when you go and say, who do you know, what happens after that? Before you go on. So this is a very nice expression, and it's completely fair. It's understandable. In my case, I use it all the time. And I say, wait a second, before you go on, I would usually include the wait a second before I say, before you go on, before you continue. You can, you can choose the word or expression you prefer. You can say go on or continue. It's fine. It, it doesn't make any difference, but it's a very nice way of interrupting the person and then continue with the same topic or the same idea that they were, you know, talking about. The second point that I wanted to talk about today is adding your opinion to another student's answer. This is part of the interactive communication and also part of discourse. You need to develop ideas further. Just because a person says something, you can also include whether you agree or disagree. And if you can think about adding something extra, it would be a great way of expanding the conversation further. Remember, the examiner will definitely award you points for this, will award you marks. So I have three other examples, and let's take a listen to the first one. I don't know. It has to look, I think we call those a tribal tattoo. Oh, I see what you mean. So Maybe. just like some sharp lines, not really colors or mm -hmm. a clear image. Oh, I see what you mean. So Maybe. just like some sharp lines, not really colors or mm -hmm. a clear image. The expression, I see what you mean is quite effective and I like the way she uses it because it's not only that she got the point that he was talking about, it's also that she added this extra layer of understanding of something. She did not repeat what he said. It's just the way she understood it. And it sounds, it almost sounds like an exam itself. I mean, I think it, it they seem to be looking at something and it's, it sounds like an exam. The following exchange is between two people on television. They're talking about sports, and one person is giving his opinion about how you need to put yourself 100% in the game 
and you should not be in the bleaches. The bleaches is the where people sit down, the spectators sit down to watch a sports game. And the interviewer adds more information to what he said and listen to the expression that he used. You cannot win the game if you're in the bleachers. Get on the field with everyone else. Get dirty, get hit, get struck, but keep moving the ball down the field. And I thought I had an opportunity to do so in politics, and I'm happy that I did. I couldn't agree more about the idea of you, you want more civic engagement among young people. I couldn't agree more about the idea. So if you notice that the first person was making a comparison between what he did in sports and what he's doing in politics, he says that if you really want to put yourself in the game, you have to get dirty. You have to be in the field with others. And he wanted to do the same in politics. And the other person, the interviewer, said that he couldn't agree more about the idea. So he said, I couldn't agree more about the idea of you. You want more civic engagement among young people. So that was an interpretation of what the other person said. The person is adding their own understanding about the topic. So he introduced the idea by using, I couldn't agree more about the idea. So this is a wonderful expression. Let's continue. The last example of how to add your own idea to what other person, what the other candidate said, is this one. It's a conversation about racism in America. And pay attention to the way the second person adds more information and the expression used to introduce that new information. Everybody here has got to take a position and to start acknowledging and start working to end the racism. What an interesting idea. I, I, th I, I think you're saying that racism is so, so much in the fabric of American culture. What an interesting idea. I, I, th I, I think you're saying that racism is so, so much in the fabric of American culture. And the whole expression that the men used was, what an interesting idea. I think you're saying that. And that's a fantastic expression, not only to add more information, but to include this layer of understanding that makes the conversation more complex. And, and, and it's, it's part of that interactive communication that we need to start practicing today. Remember that you need to add information and that's developing the topic. Okay, so let's move on to the next section. The last strategy that I want to talk about today is ask for clarification. And this is done whenever we don't understand what something is. And of course, we want to clarify if we, what we understood was correct, either in terms of a word or expression that the other person said, or the concept that the other person is trying to come up with. And this is very effective in terms of discussion and expanding ideas. When you do the collaborative task and the one person is giving their opinion about something, you can always ask for this kind of clarification. And we have a lot of expressions in, that we can use to introduce that question or that idea that we want to clarify. So listen to the first example 
and pay attention to how the man is introducing, is asking for clarification. In this case, it's just a specific word and how the woman in the interview is using that word, in which sense it's being used. Listen. They couldn't speak the same language, so they had to develop ways of learning how to understand what it was when they went down into the mines as to what they were expected to do. So when you say provocative, you're really trying to provoke conversations. You're really trying um, to provoke yeah. from your members exactly. in the community. Exactly. So when you say provocative, you're really trying to provoke conversations. The expression is, so when you say, this is the expression that we used to introduce our claiming for or asking for clarification. So when you say blank, you're trying to say this. So this is how we use this expression. And I think it's a very subtle, very simple expression that can add another layer of understanding in the conversation. The second expression is a little more explicit. It's not so subtle as the previous one. And listen to this exchange in which a woman, is, she's even explaining herself on how she's using the term wake-up call. And it's not the typical wake-up call that you get in the hotel in the morning. It's another kind of wake-up call. It's a more hypothetical, metaphorical use of the, the term. But even so, the man, the interviewer, is asking her to give more examples. So listen to the expression that he used. So that's the kind of idea of a wake-up call originally. Now, in this context, we're not talking about hotels and making you wake up in the morning, but we are talking about a shock, something that kind of jolts you into reality and makes you pay attention and take action. Okay, so we're talking about wake-up call again in this serious context of climate change. Could you give an example of when we can use wake-up call in a more everyday context? Could you give an example of when we can use wake-up call in a more everyday context? And as you can see, the expression is very explicit. It's just, could you give an example of, and it's completely logical. How can you use it in the exam? Probably if the candidate is using an expression or is trying to come up with a very complex idea, I would say that this is appropriate for C1 and C2 exams. Whenever you have to do the exam with another candidate with a very good level of English, and there's something that you would like to clarify, and it's perfectly fine. You can, of course, you you have to use paraphrasing, and to a certain point, you have to state what you understand. Now, for the pronunciation section, I told you that I was going to talk about cleft sentences and how important they are. First of all, I want to tell you that cleft sentences are part of that high-level grammar that you need to be using at, I would say, at the end of C1, but definitely at C2 levels. In English grammar, a cleft is a construction in which some element in a sentence is moved from its normal position into a separate clause to give it a greater emphasis. Cleft is also known as a cleft sentence, cleft con construction, or a cleft clause. The word cleft comes from the verb cleave, C-L-E-A-V-E. So you may have heard this word before, for example, when you say cleavage, for example, in a dress, it's when uh, a woman's dress is showing part of her breasts, you know, 
Yeah, you have that kind of V shape in a dress that we call it, in English, we call it a cleavage. Okay, so when, when a woman dresses, let's say, for example, in a night dress, for example, at a party or at a very elegant party, sometimes, you know, they have cleavage, you know, that V shape. So cleave, cleavage, cleft is a very old past tense of the word cleave. So it means divide. Also, we use the word cleft in the chin, for example. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed that some people have like a division, like a split, like a separation in their chins. And for a lot of people, they find that highly attractive. I think Ricky Martin, the singer, the Puerto Rican singer, Ricky Martin, has a cleft chin, and that's the way we call it. I'm explaining this because that's the principle that in which we use cleft sentences. You basically divide the sentence into two parts, and then you take one part, take it out of the, of the common position where it is, and you bring it to the front. So if you want a definition, a cleft sentence is a sentence that is split so as to put the focus on one part of it. The cleft sentence is usually introduced by the pronoun it which is followed by the verb phrase whose main verb is generally be, you know, it is, something like that. So the focused part comes next, and then the rest of the sentence is introduced by a relative pronoun, relative determiner, a relative adverb, or something similar. If we take the sentence, for example, Tom felt a sharp pain after lunch, two possible cleft sentences can be formed from this. You can say, it was Tom who left a sharp pain after lunch, or you can also say, it was after lunch that Tom felt a sharp pain. In this case, you're focusing two different things. In the first one, you're focusing on the person, in this case, Tom, and in the second example, you're focusing on the time. So take, for example, the simple uh, sentence, Jerry went to the movie yesterday. It's a very simple sentence, but if you would want to emphasize one element or another, the sentence could be rewritten in several different ways. You can say, it was Jerry who went to the movie yesterday. It was to the movie that Jerry went yesterday. And it was yesterday that Jerry went to the movie. So it depends on what you want to emphasize, really. If you want to emphasize Jerry, if you want to emphasize the movie, or if you want to emphasize the day which was yesterday. English has many different varieties of cleft constructions, but two major types are it clefts, you know, the one that, you know, the, the example that you just heard, and WH clefts, you know, when we start with WH words like what, for example. However, why, where, and how can also be possibilities. But today I'm not really concerned about how to grammatically construct the cleft sentences. This is something that you can study on your own. But I wanted to call your attention to how we pronounce them. And I have three examples. And it's a very standard pronunciation when we talk about intonation. Remember that intonation, it's either going up or going down. And whenever, for example, we ask a question, if it's a yes-no question, normally we go up at the end. And if it's a WH question, we normally go down at the end of the sentence. So this is, this is what I'm talking about. And grammatically speaking, cleft sentences have a very unique, distinctive way of making intonation. So let's take a listen to the examples. 
Olivia Jade clearly got into USC on merit. Now, what I don't understand is why you would spend millions of dollars bribing your way into college, especially USC. Did you hear the way in which the speaker used intonation to say what I don't understand? Listen again. Now, what I don't understand is why you would spend millions of dollars bribing your way into college, especially USC. The cleft part has a very, very high level intonation. He said, what I don't understand. And then the intonation goes down. And this is usually the pattern that we use in cleft sentences. You have to start making cleft sentences. If you don't know how to use them, do a little bit of research, find examples. And after you control the grammatical aspect of cleft sentences, you can start using them in speaking and use the right intonation for cleft sentences. Let's take a listen to another example. That's this happens when they go to the publisher, ask for the article to be taken down. It's not. Then it goes via Google and then they know, ah, it's that person, right? Allow me. That's clear. What I don't understand is what is the alternative? I understand what you're saying. What is the alternative? It was exactly the same expression, what I don't understand. And it's very clear how the speaker, actually the, the speaker introduced pauses between words. What I don't understand. And it's completely normal. You know, it's, a, it's adding a little more drama to the, to the expression, if I may say so. Let's listen to another example. So some of these pictures went into the media in the coming days. And instead, though, what got the attention was this picture right here. What got the attention was this picture right here. This speaker actually gave a higher intonation. He said, what got the attention was this picture right here. So you can go all the way up when you introduce the cleft part. Let's take a listen to another example. I am the person I am today because of the sacrifices my mother and my brothers made. It was my dad who encouraged me to think about college. It was my dad who encouraged me to think about college. In this particular case, the person was reading aloud. I mean, I got the video from YouTube, but you cannot see this, of course, because you're listening to him, but he was reading aloud. And in that case, you can feel, for example, that the intonation of the cleft sentence was not as pronounced when you talk, when you speak to another person. Normally, when you produce language from the top of your head and you're not reading something, normally the intonation is a little more exaggerated. So you can feel, you have that idea that he was reading aloud. And that's the reason why when he said, it was my dad who encouraged me to think about college, it, it sounds a little more monotonous. But that's part, you know, that's understandable because he, he was reading. Okay, so let's listen to a final example of a cleft sentence. It is the quality of our relationships now that we need to focus on. It is the quality of our relationships that are going to define what we deliver. And I think in this case, it was quite, quite obvious. He gave two cliff sentences beginning with the same structure. And of course, this is another thing about discourse. And I think I've spoken about it when you repeat the same idea. It's just because you want to create impact in your audience. He said... It is the quality of our relationships that blah, blah, blah. It is the quality of our relationships that blah, blah, blah in the second. So both sentences uh, started this exactly the same way. And you could hear, you can go back and listen, and you can hear that he used this rising intonation at the beginning to give a little more emphasis and ended up with a falling intonation.
So everybody, I'm so sad to say goodbye. I don't want to go without reminding you about the upcoming courses that I'm planning for August, for the month of August. And again, I'm receiving a lot of messages from you. I'm reading your emails. Don't worry about it. And the thing is that I haven't found myself some time to really come up with the list of people so you can sign up. It, it, it's not that you're going to commit to pay for the course. So you need to have that clear, you know, clarified. It's just a list to show your interest. And that way I will keep it more organized. So basically it's going to be a website in which you can, you will introduce your name and your email and you will receive more information about the course. It's basically to learn more about it. You will not have to pay anything. By the time the course approaches, of course, I will, I will let you know how you're going to pay for the course. The people who know me, they, they're, they know this, that I don't like charging a lot of money. So I will try to keep it reasonable. And I want to give the opportunity at least to 10 people. I'm sorry, but I will not be able to handle a bigger group more than 10 people. So 10 people who would be really committed to the courses. And we're going to do a lot of, we're going to have a lot of fun, I promise. And I try to be very dynamic. And I want people to be very, in, you know, that love to talk that love to showcase their English. And yes, I mean, I, I want to create this rapport, this good environment. Okay. So the people who are already taking the proficiency course with me on Fridays, they're very happy with me and I'm very happy with them. And I really hope that we can get together one day face to face because some of them live in faraway countries like Indonesia and Poland and Russia and in, in other parts of the world. And I, I would be really happy, you know, to see them face to face one, one day. And I really hope that for the future courses in August, the same can happen. And, and I promise I will put my 100% so you can get the best preparation possible. But remember, it's going to be one month. It's going to be every day, just one hour and a half every day. And of course, most of the work will be done by you. I will give you the tools. I will give you the way in which whatever we do in class, you can replicate at home and tr trying to get the same results. Okay. Or better even possible. So stay tuned because more information about that is coming. And also to remind you that I'm still collaborating with Ben Gill and his TTP Academy. It's to the point English Academy in which he offers workshops to people through his Patreon account. And it's becoming very, very popular. I'm also part of the uh, Telegram groups, the private Telegram groups that he's got. And I'm also giving feedback on writing skills. So I'm full on with Ben Gill. I think it's a fantastic collaboration. Ben is a fantastic person. And, you know, if you want to know more information about it, remember that in past episodes, I have also included links where you can find more information about Ben Gill's courses. Okay, so thank you. Thank you very much for this week. I apologize for my voice today because, you know, I'm trying to do my best. If in any case, a Sunday, you, you, you don't get an episode, for example, let's say next Sunday or the following Sunday, you know the reason why. Okay. So thank you very much. Thanks for being so patient with me. And until next week, bye-bye.